The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get started with today's program, I want to remind you that we are brought to you today by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. All right, welcome on to a special Daryl Morey Houston Rockets edition of the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. That is obviously where we need to start here. Shocking news. Perhaps that it happened right now. Maybe not shocking news in a more macro sense, but obviously both of us know Daryl. He's been one of the most prominent GMs in the league. This is a big moment here with him stepping down. What were your initial thoughts on Sean? Yeah, I was more surprised by the timing than the event. Uh, Being a little bit removed from the season, usually you expect this to happen either right away or not at all. And instead, it took a little while for for everything to come down. But bigger picture, I mean, I think when, when that Westbrook trade happened and he included the two future firsts, I think a lot of people thought to themselves at that moment that this is only a deal somebody does if they know they have no intention of being the general manager in 2024. <laughs> yeah, I tweeted as much at the time. I, I thought that uh, he and Tillman Fertitta did not really see eye to eye, that it, it was a marriage that was not destined to last. And I mean, it, it was interesting though, because it seemed like the whole idea of the Westbrook trade was to get someone who is more liable. I actually felt like they had more upside with Chris Paul. I think this year's events kind of showed that in the end, uh, but... But yeah. It, but yeah, I mean, to give up two first rounders and some pick swaps going forward and also kind of giving in to what James Harden wanted, it seemed like this was one last chance to go all in and he wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. And he had 13 years of reputation before that. So you would yeah. imagine, uh, unless the Hong Kong thing has a bigger effect than we think it might, that he'll have plenty of chance to get another job. Oh, absolutely. If he wants to or if he doesn't have bigger aspirations. I mean, we saw it. It's funny. I mean, Billy Bean just a day earlier, right? Uh, where we saw where he's he's looking at bigger and better things than just being a, a baseball GM. It's possible Daryl Morey has that uh, on his plate too. The the other thing that I think we should have taken more note of at the time was the Eric Gordon extension because that like that wasn't the type of move that they made in those first thirteen or whatever years that he was there. And the, that to me was as much of a red flag as the Restbrook trade that. That, that something had changed there yeah and uh, gordon there's a thought maybe that extending him made sense if it wasn't going out to like age 35 season for him and yeah i, I agree there definitely was a different tenor to gerald Morey's move in the last year or so now he had just signed a contract extension to stay there which uh my understanding was paid him at a, about the top of the gm market that happened i think in january of 2019 and but it's still with till and not really wanting to pay the luxury tax 
contacts with him having that news conference after they got eliminated in 2019 with Maury standing behind him looking like a hostage as Fertitta held court with the media it just didn't seem like yeah. those two guys are simpatico and it, it, it and it was only a matter of time in the end yeah exactly uh re- re- really from the from the moment Fertitta took over I mean every everything was just different about the, how that team operated and this this is kind of the inevitable result and the thing I guess we still don't know is is how much of that contract extension is Maury going to get paid out on you know they I presume they came to some kind of agreement you know we don't <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever know well so so because, because that that sort of tells you whether he jumped or whether he was pushed so to speak right yeah I mean so you think that there's a pretty good chance that uh that he just didn't just decide to leave that he's getting paid something I think there's definitely a chance yeah just the way this thing had been trending um and I mean I mean they brought over the guy from the from the legal side into basketball operations uh last year and now he's the GM yeah Ra- uh, Raphael Stone yeah yeah and he's also the guy who had been coordinating the sale to Fertitta which I'm sure is, is how that door originally opened uh yeah I mean you, you could just sense the way things were going well and obviously the Hong Kong aspect has to be discussed here as well and certainly there is no evidence that that had something to do with it at least overtly but I think there is circumstantial evidence with all that the Rockets lost that he was essentially censured by a number of players by Fertitta himself at a minimum people were distancing themselves from his comments which to be very clear at least from my standpoint I entirely support not only his right to to free speech but the substance of his comments uh, about uh, additional democratic rights in Hong Kong which and he was absolutely right to be concerned uh, given subsequent uh, events there so uh, but certainly people in the NBA didn't agree certainly the Chinese Communist Party didn't agree and the optics aren't absolutely as bad as they could be but the fact that they just agreed about a week and a half ago to have the games back on CCTV uh, they had still been back on Tencent although not Rockets game uh, and the Rockets had mm-hmm. lost you know in the 25 million uh, around there some estimates publicly in Chinese revenue because Yao uh, obviously had been there uh, and they're the most popular franchise in China so it's not amazing that uh the games are back on CCTV 10 days before Maury resigns. The only thing that'd be worse is if they came back on after Maury resigned. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that, that, that connection between the games being back on and this is, is maybe a little tenuous. I do think that was, that was, that definitely chipped away at his, uh, standing within the Rockets, let's say whether, you know, who, who knows whether it was, I mean, it wasn't immediately fatal, certainly, but it was, it, it was definitely another thing working against him. Minimum. Yeah, and and again, that that really saddens me if that's the case, and it saddens me that we even have to have this conversation here in the U.S. that a foreign government may have had something to do with someone leaving their job. I mean, that that really, really not only saddens me but angers me that uh, we even have to discuss that possibility, uh, and particularly yeah, totally. particularly when that foreign government is as wrong as you can possibly be on this issue and many many others as well um so where do the rockets go from here now 
That's a great question. I think in the short term for this coming year, you're still trying to win, right? You still have James Harden. You still have Westbrook. You have a team that was the four seed in the West last year. But going further out, this is going to get really hard. I think there's going to be a point here pretty soon where James Harden starts thinking about his future and looks around and is like, okay, this team has no young players and no draft picks. And I'm, I'm hitched to the good ship Westbrook here while he, you know, plummets to whatever percent from the perimeter and loses his athleticism. So I, I think that's a really difficult position. I think that they have to think about, certainly they have to have, be having the discussions internally on when is the point where they cash in their James Harden stock and start to rebuild this because they're inevitably headed toward a pretty painful rebuild, I think. Uh, maybe not this year, but certainly within the next three years. Well, how would you handle it? Right now, you have carte blanche to just, and your goal as a, a an executive of the Rockets, you know, you're not worrying about getting fired. You just want for the Rockets to be as good of a franchise as they could possibly be in the future and maximize their odds of winning a championship someday. How would you approach their roster situation right now? The interesting, the most interesting part of it is whether you try to do something with Harden now or whether you try to bank enough wins to make the playoffs and then do something at the trade deadline, which is, which is another way you could do it. Um, but my inclination is almost to say, though, that James Harden's trade value will never be higher than it is right now. And I, I just don't see how you're going to win big with this with this team you have assembled. I don't know. Maybe you could make the counter argument that there's honor in winning 50 games and making the second round. And certainly this team is capable of that. But boy, that you just look out to the future and you just got you just got to wonder, like, how does you know, how does this get any better? And, and do you need to start doing stuff right now to prevent a, a truly miserable half decade from from commencing uh, pretty soon here? Yeah. So their 2021 draft pick, they only keep it if it's top four otherwise they get the least favorable of okc's 2021 first miami's uh and their own uh top four protected so pretty tough to tank into that top four this year if if that's what you want to do so uh, they would that's definitely a concern and then they don't owe anything until 2024 and 2025 uh when they've got a couple of picks to okc top four protected 24 swap rights in 25 potentially and then 2026 top four protected as well so i mean there, there is a space here to get bad very quickly particularly with the rest of the west as we've talked about really trying to win and harden as you mentioned his trade value being higher than it's ever going to be i mean i think really the internal evaluation has to be do we have no chance of making the conference finals because you mentioned honor and winning 50 games well they've been doing that for basically the last 10 years and you know maybe maybe it's yeah. time to i think there's more appetite for not doing that than if you know you're getting to that point for the first time in 10 years so uh do you think they have any chance of competing even to make the conference finals realistically in this upcoming i think there you can make a case for them making the conference finals i mean we didn't think denver would make the conference finals this year and there they were right but man it's um it's it's difficult it's it's the odds are against it let's put it that way i think we you know i was kind of mentally going through my head who are the contenders next year and it took me a while to get to to Houston. I mean, even like I kind of like Utah's odds next year better than Houston's actually. Um, and they're going to be in position to not add any players again because of their tax situation uh, where they'll insist all season that they're willing to pay the tax and then magically end up $23 below the line at the, at the end of it. So I, I think that's going to be really hard for them to add players. Everyone's getting older. They depend heavily on playing pretty much five or six players, pretty heavy minutes. They're all deep in their 30s uh, age-wise. Like this, 
it's a it's a tough situation to imagine them improving on where they were this last season. So, you know, can you see a situation where they kind of all get hot or healthy or whatever at the same time and make a run in the playoffs? Yeah, maybe. Do you see a situation where they're really the second best team in the West, though? Man, that's hard. That's hard for me to get to that. So I had occasion to sleep on another mattress other than the one that I own. And I was reminded once more why my Helix Sleep mattress is just the best out there. It's personalized for me, made right here in America. And it ships straight to your door with free no-contact delivery, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. But really, what makes it so good, so good, in fact, that it was named the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ, Wired Magazine, and Apartment Therapy, is that it's made for you. You just go to helixsleep.com slash PER, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, whether you want a soft, medium, or firm feel, whether you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach, you move around all night. If you're a hot sleeper, a cold sleeper, Helix Sleep has the mattress for you. And of course, you don't have to take my word for it because you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you're going to because it's made for you. Right now, they are offering up to $200 off all mattresses orders this is the best offer they've ever had in my five years of working with them get up to two hundred dollars off at helixsleep.com slash pr easy to remember slash pr because john invented it and don't forget that slash pr url to let them know that you came from us i am just ecstatic that i was introduced to theragun through this program and so is my wife we're both very active athletically i've had all these lower body injuries i've had all these lower body injuries and so i spent all this time first it was foam rolling then i moved up to just the hard plastic roller when that wasn't giving me enough and yet i still had these adhesions that i couldn't get rid of in my glutes my lower back my legs i've got massages i've tried finding someone to do art none of it has worked as well as the theragun which i can just do on my own at home whenever i want it's part of my nightly routine now if you're not familiar with theragun it's handheld percussive therapy it releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth speed and power and man i feel amazing i'm getting rid of all these adhesions that were really holding me back whenever i tried to work out so feel better naturally treat your pain and get back to your life and once more you can try theragun risk-free for 30 days or get your money back by going to theragun.com slash per easy to remember slash per because john invented it plus for a limited time you will get a free charging stand with purchase a 79 value that's theragun.com slash per theragun.com slash per yeah i i mean given the ages of the players involved they're definitely swimming upstream at this point the argument you could make is that they looked pretty good and then westbrook got hurt and he was just so bad that you just can't get any kind of an evaluation from that and that you know anthony davis guarding russell westbrook which totally flummoxed them like that's not going to work if russell westbrook is looking better but i don't buy that argument i think that anthony davis can totally guard russell westbrook fine a lot of centers can i mean that was the yeah that's the approach that that team's bound to, to really shut them down. And I think if they, you know, you lost in seven to the Lakers, then maybe, but they got completely blown out and demoralized in that series. So I think they would make, they would be wise to explore what you could get for Harden uh, right now, you know, because if they just lose in the first round next year and James Harden isn't as good next year as he was this year, which is almost certainly going to be the case, then it, it becomes a lot harder to move him. And you even look at some long salary going on yeah. for him and you might even start thinking like, hey, you know, do we even want this contract some teams? So uh, while he's still playing at a top 10 level, I, I think it definitely needs to be explored. If you can't get enough, then okay. Uh, but 
yeah, I, I think that's not going to happen, though. I would be shocked if they just come in and move him. Maybe it would happen at the deadline if they That's probably the it. earliest I could see. Yeah. But then the other reason you need to be thinking about this now is because it affects who you hire as your coach, right? Because they're right now I think they're looking at, at a different set of candidates. But you could argue that if you're going to be rebuilding in a year – like, shouldn't you be looking more at, like, Kenny Atkinson? Like, you know, more guys like that than, you know, interviewing Ty Lue and Jeff Van Gundy and whatever? Yeah. Uh, although, again, you wonder whether the money aspect is going to work out with those guys. Van Gundy, maybe it would. Uh, but, you know, Lue seems to have pretty high salary demands. And he's yeah. also apparently in demand with the Clippers. Lou agreed to a deal with the Clippers right before we went on. Oh, good. Okay. Well, there so, you go. So we got, we got that one out of the way. <laughs> I assume to be the head coach. Yes. <laughs> he, re- he re-upped as, as the assistant. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, and you consider it too. There's just so much momentum behind this Titanic right now. A big ship like that takes a while to turn around. I mean, you just, you basically, you've traded three first round picks and a couple of swap rights in the last basically season for what the Covington and Westbrook trades. And so are you really going to say this for sure is going to work? We're going to turn that around and give up on that. Uh, Now you would say you shouldn't be seduced by those sunk costs. If it's not working, it's not working. But I would say, I would say almost the opposite that you have an incentive to rebuild sooner uh, because of those sunk costs, because you want to make sure you're good by 24, (laughs) right? I mean, Uh, you know, so it could swing the opposite way. No, I I agree with you. But in terms of just what realistically happens in organizations and particularly now this organization headed by Tillman Fertitta, you know, he doesn't strike me as the visionary who is going to be like, okay, we're going to tear this all down, you know, unless it really is that much about the money, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he's he's going to tear it down after it's too late. That's that's what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean uh, they'll they'll try to be good this year, and I'm sure you know as long as Harden's healthy, I'm sure they'll still make the playoffs. But I just the secondary players. I mean the Lakers really showed the limitations of their secondary guys too. So we we got some comments here. Let's hit on these. Uh, the Rockets aren't trading Harden. LOL. Uh, what, what do you think the odds are that he gets traded? I mean, he's going to get traded at some point. You would. Have he's going to gonna, he's gonna get traded when he has to get traded is when, he, when he'll get traded, which I'm guessing won't happen until after this season. Yeah, I mean, he's got three more years at over $40 million a year, including a player option in 22-23 for $47 million. And he really just, and he'll be, what, 34 at that point? Like, yeah. it just doesn't make sense for him to be on a team that isn't a championship contender. And Exactly. I mean, maybe he just wants to stay there and put up some numbers and and collect some stats and not be a championship g- contender. But then it doesn't make sense for the Rockets to hold on to him either. Like like, what use is it winning forty five games with thirty three year old James Harden when you could trade him instead? Yeah. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I mean, we were in this exact same situation with Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, and we held on to them too long, and we just got really lucky that their value held up. And uh, but we easily could have been burned by that. And it's just it's really hard on the team side. It's really hard to turn from, especially when like a month ago they're like, "We're taking on the Lakers, and our revolutionary small ball is going to you know shock the world here." And to, to like, okay, we need to rebuild and win 19 games next year. Like that, 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 like that's a hard turn. 
to make for any organization, uh, and especially this one with all the other stuff they're going through. I do think they're going to try to win this year, and then next year is the reckoning. Uh, my prediction would be there is an 85% chance that James Harden does not finish out this contract as a Rocket. Maybe there's some chance that he would just end up getting bought out of it at the end, but more more likely, I think he's going to get traded. So maybe it's yeah. not at this particular moment. I mean, I agree with the commenter that they're not going to do it this offseason. We just spent a long time breaking that down. But I mean, I think you got to really be on watch for it, depending on how next season goes, that he could get moved or want to be moved. Yeah. Because that's the other component here, too, is one of the two parties is going to want it to end. <laughs> Yeah, think, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so it's 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 it seems almost inevitable at this point. But they'll like we said, they'll probably try to win this year first and, and see. And then when reality smacks them in the face, then then they'll make the hard decisions. I, I want to say next summer, it'd probably be next fall, but next whenever off season is. Um, why would they buy him out? He's still good, right? Well, we're talking about two, three years from now, potentially. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when he's making 47 million and still is a good player. Because I mean, when when guys get bought out, it's when they're still a decent enough player to help a team, but they're just making too much money that anyone would trade for them. And the 47 yeah. million, it's just going to be such a hard number so uh, to match in the trade. And so I think that, that that's why I consider that as a possibility. I think it's far more likely he gets traded to be clear but as far as just i, I added that in as a scenario yeah. of him not finishing that contract with the rockets in some form of fashion. yeah this this probably won't matter because he's already making above the max but there's a 15 percent trade kicker on top of that too <laughs> you get yeah. you get to some really crazy numbers if the cap went up enough but I, i'm not sure that's going to happen yeah and he obviously he can waive that as well, yeah. which I imagine going somewhere that he wanted to, he would. But that, that's another form of power that he has uh, as far as determining his destination. So, oh, I'm sure Fertitta would happily pay that trade bonus, though, right? It's just just a rounding error for him, right? Yeah, you might have him confused uh, with uh, Steve Ballmer. Well, so let's hit it here. We just got this. Uh, let's uh, do a live reaction to Ty Lue uh, joining the LA Clippers as their head coach for on uh, what the chat is telling me, which I would never yeah. lie to me. I know you guys would never lie to me. It's a five-year deal. Yeah, it's a it's a five-year deal. I saw I saw the uh, I think it was a Woj bomb right before we went on. Um, I think that's probably the right move for the Clippers. I, th I think he was the best available candidate, and I think that was a, the best available job for him. I think it was a better job than um, than the Philly job. And you have to think that he had internal support already from Kawhi and Paul George for the Clippers to go this direction, which is important. Yeah, you, you would think so. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you think this is a fait accompli that it was just going to be him as soon as they fired Doc Rivers? It, I think that's certainly possible, yeah, that that they just wanted to go through the, the song and dance, but they knew or they knew with like 95% probability that they were going to hire Ty Lube. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, you, your colleague Jovan Buha at The Athletic, he reported that they would go through a long process. I mean, do we even, uh, refresh my memory, I don't recall them even, any reports of them interviewing anyone else. 
If there was another Maybe person they interviewed, I can't I can't remember who it was. Cassell interviewed with the Rockets. I can't recall him interviewing with the Clippers or not. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. So I, I mean, it does seem like they were probably pretty uh, pretty set on him. And maybe they did a little more due diligence on, on some other people. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Lou is. What do you make of the things? What are his strengths and weaknesses as a head coach, and how do those apply to the Clippers? Yeah, I think he um, he's he's been able. I mean, he, his resume isn't that long, right? I mean, it's the Cleveland job, right? But uh, what he showed there was that he could earn the trust of the best players, which is always the most important thing. Uh, but also that he could make some adjustments in playoff series. I mean, they won that Golden State series. He did some good stuff there, uh, where he had them switching everything uh, and kind of almost mimicking what Golden State was doing. Um, and got a lot of mileage out of it, and and that really helped them win that championship. Yeah, his certainly his playoff record was unimpeachable, and his regular season record I think had a lot of holes. He particularly in seventeen and eighteen, the Cavs defense was absolutely atrocious, beyond a point where their personnel would have dictated. I think, right? But uh, I think one thing that he can really use is he's a big proponent of getting enough shooting on the floor which I think they need a little bit more. Like you know, He really likes to maximize the offense, at least based on what he did in Cleveland. He may have a different approach here. We don't know that for sure, but based on what he did in Cleveland, he's well known for good ATOs, as was Doc Rivers as well. I'm not sure that the overall, he doesn't have a track record of an overall offensive system. You know, it was more kind of, let's put some shooting around LeBron and let him go to work, but they have the talent to maybe do that as well. And I think they're going to take a lot more three point corners which i think they really need to do uh with this team and hopefully play guys who can space the floor a little bit more i hope hopefully they'll get more out of guys like landry shamit this yeah. year and hopefully he can just uh, assist with uh, some of the emotional issues that this team had and i think he also did a good job of holding guys accountable in cleveland uh, and that's something that i think he's going to need to do here as well it was pointed out in the chat by the way that mike brown interviewed uh with the Clippers. That's right. That's right. I don't know how how serious uh, of a candidate he was. Thanks for refreshing our memory. They they interviewed every single person who coached LeBron. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. Was uh, did David? Uh, uh, forgetting it. Did David Blatt? Did they talk to him? <laughs> yeah, Paul, Paul Silas. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so now that the NBA season is over, I've been looking for something to fill my time. And my wife and I were talking, like, do we really want to spend a bunch of time watching TV at night? No, we don't. So we're looking for some stuff to do. I was like, oh, why don't we watch some masterclass together? We can learn a lot, expand our brain, talk about some of the stuff and maybe there'll be some topics that we want to go into even more deeply with the exercises that they have available accompanying every class so some of the new classes that they have neil degrasse tyson scientific thinking and communication that is certainly a very important topic in today's world chris voss who is the former FBI lead hostage negotiator on The Art of Negotiation, Gabriela Camara, Mexican Cooking, David Sedaris, Humor and Personal Essays. You can watch Masterclass on your phone, on desktop, Apple TV, whatever platform you want to use, Android, Amazon Fire TV, and their all-access pass gives you access to every Masterclass. I highly recommend giving it a shot. Get that all-access pass.
podcasts for 15% off at masterclass.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented it. That's masterclass.com slash PER for 15% off Masterclass. And don't forget that slash PER link to let them know that you came from us. 20 years ago, rockauto.com was at the forefront, changing how people shop for auto parts. And now they've been doing it for 20 years. And the reason they've been able to keep going for this long and continue to grow their business is their amazing selection, their reliably low prices. It's just a better model than going to the auto parts store, looking around on the floor for 10 minutes, realizing they don't have the part that you want, going up to that counter, the guy puts it into the computer. Uh, no, we don't have that, sir. We're going to have to order it. It'll be here in seven to 10 days. Why don't you come back in and pick it up? Well, why didn't I just stay at home, enter in my make and model and year into rockauto.com and just get the part that way? The prices are always the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers, unlike a, a lot of places uh, as well. There's no reason to spend up to twice as much for the same parts. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car and truck. Make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com okay so now let's turn into what we thought was going to be our, our primary topic today mm -hmm. before all this crazy news went down and you wrote a piece of, about the debate du jour of lebron versus mj and by the way congratulations for getting your piece in when they were up 3-1 you beat everyone else like at espn by like a good two days yeah um, yeah oh i was i mean i i i was I was sweating even waiting that long. I, <laughs> I I knew this was coming, and I I, I wanted to make sure I, I beat I beat the rush. Uh, so it was like uh, two nothing. Is that too early? And then they're up three one, but there's like three days off. So like the whole the whole time because they I don't think we put it out until like the third off day. And I'm thinking to myself like, come on, come on. <laughs> like so little little inside look at the mechanics of the uh, journalism race, I guess. But yeah, no, it was uh, it, it it was something I thought was inevitable that was going to come up as soon as they won. Well, so my conclusion on this is. It's now eye of the beholder. LeBron has done enough that you can rationally choose either player. Uh, just in broad strokes, would you agree with that? In broad strokes, I would agree with that because, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway was it's down to them two now without question. And really, when you look at playoff performance, it really stands out that it's that it's that it's down to those two. And then there are different things that come up once you get to those two when you compare longevity versus peak value versus some other things. And, you know, that at that point, reasonable people can probably disagree. I could I could even still like tolerate an argument for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I guess, although I, I think Jordan and LeBron are pretty much a cut above. Um, but th this year, this championship and this playoff run, I, th I think really cemented that that it's down to those two. It's LeBron and Jordan. Yeah, and I had I had LeBron as the second best player of all time, probably even going back to about 2013. Mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, and so, by the way, it, those of you in the chat, please weigh in here on uh, whether you think LeBron has uh, any argument for being the greatest uh, of all time. But it, you ultimately went with NJ, and what mm -hmm. was your main reasoning there? So 
Two things. His peak value was a little higher, just just in raw terms. But then the other thing that really stood out to me is that we're in the area of great uh, perimeter players right now where it's relatively easy for a perimeter player to dominate the game, just the way the game is played, the way the game is called. And Jordan played in a completely different era where it was very hard for guards and it, and it was the dominant era for centers because the game was more physical. You could hand check. The three-point line hadn't really been... Uh, adopted in a meaningful way yet. And all the other best players in the 90s were bigs. Uh, you go back and look at the MVP voting most years, uh, the, the types of guys he was playing against in the, in the finals and, and conference finals, the best players on those teams. Uh, you know, you look, the 90s is Barkley, Olajuwon, Ewing, David Robinson, Carl Malone, right? Like the, those are the five guys he was dealing against most in the 90s. And then the other best perimeter players, like they were good players, right? There was Clyde Drexler and John Stockton and Reggie Miller, but they weren't quite at that same exalted level. And so when, when I compare that, like the difference between Jordan and the median starting guard in the NBA in the 90s, I think is much greater than the difference between LeBron and the median small forward playing today. Yeah, well, or, or at least the median primary perimeter creator. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think Magic and Bird being so good, I think that undercuts what you're saying a, a little bit. It, those a little bit, but that was the 80s, 80s and yeah. even from the 80s to the 90s, a lot less running, a lot more physicality, a lot more slow post-up basketball. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, and so I, I think it, that is a, a good point because the way that the floor was spread in the 90s, it just wasn't right like that's the biggest LeBron doesn't take that many threes himself but he benefits from the fact that there is all this three-point shooting around him now let's keep in mind in 2009 he had an unbelievably dominant season you know still back in the dead ball era mm-hmm. when you know they got some three-point shooting around him but you know they're yeah. playing Ben Wallace and Anderson Verge out together on the, on that Cleveland team and he still was <laughs> was unbelievable sure. um yeah certainly LeBron is going to have him on the long Longevity. I, I think that's very clear. Yeah, I would. I thought Zach Lowe wrote a, a piece about this uh, as well, and some some things I agree with him on, some things I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what I agree with him on is that LeBron has never really led a dominant start to finish. These guys are the absolute favorites. They're completely unbeatable all year type of team. Just crown them in January. It, whereas Jordan had many. Of those teams, I mean, it, you know, sixty-nine wins, seventy-two wins, sixty-seven wins, sixty-one wins, but yeah. then a, a fifteen and two playoff run. Um, e- even the his worst teams were winning sixty games uh, in the nineties. So, uh, and LeBron hasn't had that. I think this year, after he took some time off, which obviously Jordan benefited from as well, uh, he had this is really his best regular season team probably since. 2013 uh easily since 2013 and yeah he brought it on on both ends every night which you know jordan was doing regularly in the 90s it was easier to do that with a slower pace and much less ground to cover on defense etc but i i think that's still your biggest argument in favor of jordan but again now like we said it's eye of the beholder now if you value longevity more um let me ask you this question you're starting a career a a uh Jordan's career in 1984 on a random team mm-hmm. at age 21, or you're starting LeBron James' career at age 18 on a random team in 2003. Which of those teams wins or more championships over the course of the player's career? Um, 
The only reason I'm going to say LeBron's team is because by the time he came into the league, it was more accepted and more common and the rules favored players jumping to another team. So even if he starts on a random team, he's going to end up somewhere good eventually. Whereas at the time Jordan entered the league, like you could, <laughs> like you, you could end up on a bad team your whole career. Like you could be awesome and just be, you know, Oscar Robertson and like, sorry, you have to play for the Royals the whole time. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, if Jordan, you know, but Barkley asked out to be traded, like Kareem got traded, like it was possible. But yeah, I mean, if, if Jerry Krause doesn't draft Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant, yeah, you know, maybe Michael Jordan is winning 50 games a year, uh, but getting bounced in the second round for a, a large part of his career. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess it is. But LeBron deserves credit, obviously, that isn't part of him being a player, but for taking control of his own career and maneuvering himself. Like he, if he had just allowed himself to to stay in Cleveland maybe he wins like one championship with that group that was totally capped out in 2010 yeah uh, exactly because his his leaving actually allowed them to rebuild and put better players around him when he came back yeah uh and uh also win three lotteries in four years yeah yeah well there's yeah. that part too yeah thanks to uh roto radar who just gifted a bunch of subs to our community by the way that's uh that's awesome we, we really appreciate that um yeah let's see here if we we got some uh interesting comments here about lebron um my opinion by the way would would be as i look for that you probably win more championships with lebron than you do with jordan i think lebron's era was harder in the sense that there are more great players now uh they're both from overseas it's a it's a more forgiving era but you also have all these other great players that you have to beat including those warriors teams that he went up against it, you know you don't if you play his career over a thousand times you don't have them going up against the greatest team of all time with kevin durant going to golden state uh all of those times for to have to go up against so he might have a lot more championships if it, if it weren't for that yeah uh, although and, he'd, he'd probably have to play in the west in some of those uh re revamp scenarios too right yeah no that that's true i mean it, it, and I mean, so no way it gets past memphis right and then <laughs> yeah no. and, and i mean they really in the entire time that he was in the east winning all or getting to all those finals i mean they probably beat one great team during that period if you want to even say the 2011 bulls were that um so it, i think it's uh it's definitely very close and and lebron he's Jordan was done at 35. LeBron still has more of his story to be yeah. written. Uh, That's the lo the well. longevity is really the amazing part because he's he's starting to get into the territory where he's um where he's going to be he's getting close to the same age as Wizards Jordan, right? <laughs> so that that's that's where I think he really starts making a strong case for himself with the longevity. Uh, Avon Barksdale 12, solid screen name there, uh, says Jordan didn't have a Dallas series. So talking about the 2011 finals. Is that a That's, major component? For yeah, you? I mean, the one thing about Jordan is he's unblemished, right? Because he went six for six in the finals. The time he lost in the conference finals to Detroit, it was when he was still young and they lost in seven, right? And then otherwise... Uh, you know, there was the year he came back where he wasn't, he clearly, for anyone who was alive and watching that, he, he was not the same guy when he came back and played against Orlando in that 95 series. Uh, so I, I sort of don't count that. Um, so his playoff record being so clean and having so few failures, and there was never any moment like that like that game five against Boston in 2010, where you're just like, what, wait, what happened? Like, what happened to this guy? Um, and LeBron has had a few of those, but he's also just had a lot more 
games in general, a lot more playoff games, a lot more seasons. So there's a lot more opportunity for this type of thing to happen. Well, and I think people and Avon brought up the 2011 finals. 2010 uh, against Boston is another massive blemish, right? 2009 when they lost to Orlando, that wasn't his fault. But he did not play at anywhere close to his established level. And maybe that was this mysterious elbow injury that he had at the time where he just couldn't hit a jump shot or something. But he was terrible in that series too uh, before having to leave Cleveland. So uh, there are a couple of those. He has two series on his ledger where you can say him not playing to his established level is why they lost. And Jordan, if you has one, you could say probably against Orlando. Although you know, he didn't, he wasn't great in some of those Pistons series either. But uh, I also wouldn't say that he was the reason that that they didn't live up to their standard. And, and LeBron lost two series where his team was the favorite, and Jordan basically never did. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And even uh, this- although I think that they were technically favorites in that Orlando series in 1995, I went back and looked at it, but they shouldn't have been. They weren't in my mind even at the time. Because uh, that Orlando team was really good. That Orlando team was really good, yeah. And it was a major shock that Houston swept them in the finals. Yeah, that 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 Orlando team was was it's one of the great what ifs, right? What if what if Shaq stays and Penny's knee stays in one piece? Because they were man, they were they were tremendous. Uh, De- Defiant Data asks who had the higher peak. I think John uh, believes that that it was Jordan, and I think that's probably true as well. Particularly when you factor in consistent regular season performance, and it, and I think this is an important thing too. Here, John is Michael Jordan played on probably four of the greatest teams of all time, maybe four of the twenty yeah. greatest teams of all time. Yeah. And LeBron, when you factor in playoff performance, although part of this was because Wade was injured in 2013, and really that 2013 Heat team is the it's only probably team the one, that you can point to. Yeah, the one truly great team that he was that he was part of. The other ones all had blemish. Like there were, you know, his best regular season team in Cleveland, I think, was the one that lost to Boston in 2010, right? And uh, 2009, they won 66, and then I think they won Oh, that's right. That's right. They were dominant in 2009, too. And LeBron actually played out of his mind in that conference finals, but they just couldn't stop Dwight Howard and Ray for Austin wouldn't miss a shot. Yeah. And I mean, I think that postseason is the record for highest PR in a postseason, like minimum X number of games played by like six points. And by, by a lot. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like a 37 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, um, and he Wilt made the winning the shot in game peak, two. Uh, so here's a, a comment from NBA Rig. Wilt had the highest peak in NBA history. No, that is absolutely unequivocally not true. I highly recommend that you go look at Ben Taylor's backpicks.com top 40 series. He had, had some really enlightening stuff about Wilt. But basically the, the sum of it is that Wilt never really created for his teams offensively to both score and set up others he either set up others or he scored but he couldn't do both and the offensive performances of his teams were never really that amazing although perhaps he's actually underrated defensively uh lebron doesn't coast through games you don't get to 10 finals coasting uh i would Uh, give you the uh 2018 regular season when the Cavs were 29th in defense uh, as a a counter argument there Uh, lebron doesn't coast through playoff games might be a more accurate statement but I mean, even this season in L.A., they never put LeBron one-on-one against a star player from another team. 
I mean, really until Jamal Murray in the conference finals. And that's that's just, I mean, it's a rational response, actually, right? Like, you have to preserve your best players for the best moments. But these these guys, I mean, they all know, especially the elite players to a certain extent, kind of when when it really matters and when it only kind of matters and when to turn that on and and off there. One of the things working on the team side that amazed me was how good they were at sort of tur- turning that that dial, uh, the better players from like, okay, this is a preseason game, so I'll do like exactly this much. And then, okay, now we're in the regular season? Okay. Okay, playoff game, now we go to here. So it, it was pretty amazing to watch. So there's this idea of Jordan's inevitability. That's something that a lot of people have talked about. Even even my buddy, who is not really a huge basketball fan, he, he was like, no way, Jordan. Like, you just knew he was winning every time. He just exerted his will on the game. And as long as he was at his peak, there was just no way that anyone could beat him. What do you make of that argument? There was definitely a certain sense of that, especially, I would say, after the flu game uh, in 97 in Utah. It was a, probably still the most incredible individual performance I've seen, given the uh, given the, the situation and, and what he was dealing with um, for him to lead them back in that game. Uh, and essentially, I mean, that's that's the game that won them a championship, basically. I mean, winning winning game five on the road and. Uh, and th- and then he only added to that when in that last minute of game six a year later he made the they were down three he made the basket stole the ball from Carmelone came down made the basket again now you could say it was all inevitable in hindsight but John Stockton makes a jump shot at the end of game six like we're playing game seven in Utah and who knows what happens right what does that do to the legacy so. You could take that a little too far, but there's no question that Jordan in the biggest moments was usually at his best. Yeah, and he has certainly more iconic moments than LeBron James that fostered that idea of game-winning shots in the finals. But I mean, I actually thought the closest they ever came to losing was in 93 against the Knicks. They go down 2-0. Yep, yeah. And then Jordan in game three at home goes three for 18. And mm-hmm. their Bulls defense and Scottie Pippen was unbelievable. They actually blew the Knicks out in that game. And then the next game after that, he had one of the greatest games I've ever seen against a defense that might have been the greatest defense of all yeah. time that yeah. the, those Knicks groups um, yeah. where he drops 54 in game four to tie the series. But then still, you know, Scottie Pippen and he stopped Charles, Charles Smith, Smith out of the yep. basket like that. Yeah, that, you know, B.J. Armstrong hits a, a three late in that game and they could have easily lost that series yeah. as well. Um, I thought that was actually their toughest challenge. They didn't have home court in that. They were down 2-0 uh, in that series. So there definitely were moments. But uh, because Jordan, quote unquote, always seemed to come through enough, then uh, those moments were etched in people's minds uh, of this idea of inevitability. But I also don't think it was that inevitable. And hey, you know, Michael Jordan might not have been so inevitable if he had to go up against the 2017 Warriors either. Yeah, or even against, I mean, we, you know, we we didn't see him in 90, we didn't see him in in 94 or 95, you know, playing, you know, if he had to play against those Knicks again or those, or that Pacers team one more time. Uh, you know, what happens? What what happens if they're playing against Olajuwon, who's, you know, not a guy that Jordan can can guard? Uh, and, you know, how does that series turn out? Yeah, you, you can play the what if uh, pretty well. Although, I mean, in, in Jordan's defense, I mean, they played a variety of teams in the finals and, and 
he, you know, he dominated against all of them. Yeah, I still would have Jordan if you put a gun to my head. But like I said, I think you know if LeBron wins another championship or uh, you know th- that's something that could really sway it for me. Still, the regular season, the being part of a dominant team, the iconic moments. I, I think it, there's still an argument for Jordan, but I would never throw someone out of the chat who who said LeBron. You guys have heard me lament how bad normal protein bars taste. If they're being honest with these traditional protein bars about what some of their flavors are they might name them limestone quarry concrete mixer and backyard dirt but built bar is making the best protein bar that's out there now they are up to 18 amazing flavors including nut and non-nut flavors six new ones caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry bar sia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake apple almond crisp in the originals raspberry german chocolate peanut butter peanut butter brownie double chocolate orange toffee almond the bars are covered in 100 percent chocolate they're soft and easy to chew but despite that they're low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber great for a keto diet for example the peanut butter 19 grams of protein pretty good all right they say if you're working out you should have as many grams of protein per day as you weigh in pounds it's only 180 calories five grams of sugar five grams of net carbs and you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on you'll get 20 percent off your next order use promo code locked on for 20 percent off at builtbar.com david harrison here the locked on washington football team podcast celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to dave's killer bread i don't know about you guys but when i eat pizza i eat it for the toppings not the crust and when i eat a sandwich it's for what's inside the bread not for the bread but when i throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds thin sliced bread from dave's killer bread it is the epitome of addition by subtraction that thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste killer texture killer nutrition a subtle sweetness and a seed coated crust dave's killer bread is america's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store let's uh let's move on here to talking about next year a little bit and you you wanted to bring this up the topic of the lakers chances of repeating yeah um it's interesting because I think for most of the year, we sort of perceived them as number three in the hierarchy, that the Bucks and the Clippers were the, were the two really elite teams and the Lakers were like sort of trying to be in that conversation and definitely were ahead of the other teams. But I, I don't think like we certainly didn't see this championship as inevitable. And yet when you look ahead to next year and say, OK, who's going to dethrone these guys? I think there's a lot of questions about all the potential up and comers. And it makes you almost wonder like, wow, these guys have a pretty decent chance of repeating. I think like who's, if they're not going to repeat, who's knocking them off? Yeah. That's the question. Who do you see as the biggest contender for next year? As of right now, like as we're sitting there at the start of next season, who do you predict will be the team that we view as the second most likely to win the championships here? I still think it has to be either the Clippers or the Bucks, right? I mean, I, no offense to Miami fans, but I, I think at that, because the Clippers and Bucks have that high level talent where they have somebody who can, who can say, yes, he is one of the, you know, two or three best players in the league or whatever in a, in a playoff series with, with Kawhi Leonard and with Giannis. And so I, I still think you start there. 
Uh, Miami, uh, I, th- I think they certainly need to be in the conversation. Had how do they get to the point where they were better than they were this year? I think is an interesting conversation. A uh, little bit of a lightning in a bottle aspect to them. Uh, you know, have some free agents to deal with. So that that's going to be an interesting one there. Who else can you really make a case for and say, oh, yeah, I think they could take out the Lakers? Like Denver? Yeah. Like, I, I have trouble getting there. Um, Boston, maybe. We didn't really see them against the Lakers. Their lack of size really concerns me against the Lakers, though. I think that's a terrible matchup for them. Uh, so, so I wouldn't be inclined to say them. Uh, you know, could you say maybe if the Sixers got their act together? But I don't think that's anything remotely bankable at this point. Uh, who's there that might rise up? You know, could could Utah be like another Miami next year? I suppose possibly. But it, it's hard for me to make a really compelling case uh, for anyone. If, if gun to my head, I'll go with the Clippers just because I still think they have the ability with the players they have and the players they're likely to be able to bring in to uh, to pose a threat if they really get their act together. So I, I would still say the Clippers, but the Lakers are in a pretty good position to repeat, I think. Yeah, I think they are based on what we know now. and But I think there are plenty of teams that could put themselves into position with the right moves. And I think this this might be one where we don't really have a great idea until the trade deadline, right? Like, yeah. what if Rudy Gobert gets traded to Boston at the yeah. trade deadline? All right, we got people you know? in here asking about Bradley Beal trades, obviously, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, so yeah, let, let's uh, let's hear it in the chat of who you guys think would be the biggest threat. The Warriors could be heard from. You just, I, I think it's more likely than not that Steph, Clay, and Draymond aren't good enough anymore. But they could be, and we won't even really probably know that until the playoffs either. And what happens with Wiggins and the number two pick and the trade exception uh, for them? You know that 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 could be really fascinating as well. Boston, if they get one more piece, yeah, uh, yeah, I do agree with you. I think Miami is more likely than not to be worse next year but i mean there's no way that the bucks and clippers can be as bad this year uh as they were last year right be as as bad or as good uh, as bad yeah, in the playoffs no you mean bad yeah oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah i think that to, to me both those scenarios of how their seasons ended were like the the worst case outcomes so yeah i mean particularly particularly the clippers and also we don't even know yet what the nature of next season will be is it going to be in a bubble is it going to be more normal will just yeah. the playoffs be in a bubble uh all of that is going to be fascinating to me. And this is, I don't expect a ton of movement this off season, but I do expect a ton of movement at the trade deadline. So uh, I think it's going yeah. to be fascinating. And, and it'll probably also be, even with maybe the exception of this year, a season where regular season results do not foreshadow the playoffs just because it's going to be a, another one of these weird seasons. Yeah, I think you're right. And we've, I mean, we've seen uh, in recent years that playoff results have decoupled a little bit from regular season and so this will probably just accelerate that trend uh had a reader here axaku asking about the nets i didn't mention them mention them but yeah they definitely need to be talked about as one of the potential contenders with katie and Kyrie and uh and starting center deandre jordan uh next year do they need to be talked about as a contender i think so i stop anybody yeah i think on I still think they look pretty good on paper. The defense is definitely going to be a question. They're going to have to win with their offense. I agree with you there. But we'll we'll see what KD comes back comes back as. But I still think that there's an upside case to be made for them. Uh, and is it more likely that they end up similar to your description of Golden State, where they're they're good but not quite? 
you know, everybody's maybe a little past their prime and they're not quite elite anymore. Yeah, that's probably the most likely scenario. But I think when, when you talk about the upside, you know, top end scenarios, I, th- I think Brooklyn's look pretty good. Yeah, much of my evaluation is based on the fact that KD is just not going to be the same guy. I just don't think he's going to be, I mean, at 32 coming off the Achilles. Yeah. Uh, it just, I mean, yeah, if, if you're telling me you're getting the same Kevin Durant that the Warriors got in 2019 before he got injured, yeah, then sign me up for the Nets as a championship contender, particularly because they have the ammo to make some trades uh, to build around them and get better defensively. But uh, I just don't believe that Kevin Durant, you know, I mean, if I had to, we did our top 10 players in the NBA, and I think I ranked him, you know, in like the 9-10 range mm-hmm. uh, as kind of more what I'm thinking he's going to be going for. I don't think he, his defense had already started to slip. I don't think that's going to really continue uh, either, uh, or, or the slippage will continue. I don't think he's going to be nearly as good as he used to be, and Kyrie can't stop anyone either. So, uh, it, uh, although, you know, who knows, maybe Steve Nash will be the next Steve Kerr, and uh, will be uh, lauding him as a coach of the year candidate, and they win 60 games. It could happen, but I, I'm just, I'm getting excited talking about this because there's so many great players who just not were not a part of the bubble to begin with, and then just weren't even part of, like, the conference finals or the finals. Like, I mean, there's... Or- yeah, or, or even the season, right? Like John Wall, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant didn't play one minute last year. And Steph Curry basically did. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. Kyrie Irving played what eighteen games? I mean, those are those are all guys who. Yeah, are but that's a regular year for him. Fair enough. Uh, anything interesting in the, in the chat here? Uh, do they do the Nets trade Jared Allen? Yeah, I've got a lot of people in here talking about that. You know, he's up for an extension too, right? Uh, So he's going to be a really interesting part of their summer. He was so good for them in the bubble. I think they'd be nuts to trade him. I think they... I think their best case scenario is that they go ahead and do an extension with him. They start the year with DeAndre to make the other guys happy and kind of let them see that it can't work that way and and just let that situation resolve itself organically, hopefully, um, to, to where everyone agrees that Jared Allen should be the starting center. Uh, so I, I think that's just a, a political issue, really, for, for Steve Nash as much as a, a basketball issue. But when you have the rights to a young player like that, I don't, I don't think you just give them away. And it's tough to trade a young center, too, because you're generally not going to be able to trade them for the equivalent in perimeter value, just the way centers are valued around the league right now. I mean, if you can, great, go nuts. But I don't think you can. Yeah, Levert seems the more likely guy to move. Um, it might make more sense to move Dinwiddie, but Dinwiddie was part of the whole recruiting Kyrie, who then recruited KD, who then both recruited DeAndre Jordan. So I think I don't think they can move Dinwiddie. Um, Dinwiddie Levert, also has a little more insurance policy value. Yeah, yeah. But Levert also is under contract for longer, so you can get yeah. more for him. And yeah, I mean, they just they, they got to get more athleticism on the perimeter defensively, I think. The, the other thing I might be looking to do if I were them is is try to get someone who could enable them to play a more non-traditional group with no center at all. They don't really have that option right now. But Durant, particularly because he is, I think, going to have lost mobility, but he's still seven feet tall with a seven-five wingspan. He yeah. could maybe be more of an interior defender going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that could definitely be a direction for them. Uh, somebody like a, I don't know, like a Paul Millsap or, uh, or even, you know, I mean, I guess they have Torian, Tor- excuse me, Torian Prince there already, but I, d- I don't know if he's a guy you really want on the court at, en- at the end of games. I don't know if he's quite at that caliber. Um, how can people still favor the Clippers after this season? Asks Gil. 
Yeah, I'm assuming that they won't physically run out of gas and front rim every single wide open jumper the final three games of a series again. Um, You know, they had the impressive regular season. They played pretty well against Dallas, although Dallas was injured. I mean, they scored 150 points on them in game five. And then through the first four games of the Denver series, they were clearly the better team through four and a half games, really. Like it, it looked like it was over, right? And then they just completely face planted. So... I, I don't think we should overdo it on those last two and a half games. I still think they have a lot of things in their favor. I think, you know, Zubats is a good young player who's only going to get better. I think, you know, we'll see what happens with Montrez Harrell, but it's possible they play Zubats a lot more this year, which I think actually would help them. Um, they, they had some guys dealing with injuries and being in and out and coming back, you know, with, with COVID, you know, with Shamit and Lou Williams, uh, Harrell. Um, back end of the bench actually wasn't great. And I think there's some things they could do there maybe. Um, and then I think they can experiment more with, uh, playing Morris at five with Kawhi and Paul George at, at the four and three and really, uh, messing teams up with smaller lineups. They didn't really get to that a lot in the Denver series. Yeah. I think Ty Lue will, will have them do that. So here, this is, let's see if the, this convinces anybody in the chat. Let's go through all the reasons that they lost. So, so like in March, they're playing really well after they got Marcus Morris. They were the favorites to me mm-hmm. at that point. Would you agree with that? Yes. And it wasn't, they weren't commanding favorites, but yes, if you had to put your chips on one team, you probably would have said them. Okay, so what changed from there to the bubble? Let's go through it and say, all right, is this going to continue into next season? Uh, probably the number one thing I would say out of anything was that Montrez Harrell sucked uh-huh. and they continued to play him 25 minutes a game. Is that going to continue? Uh, no, I mean, w- either one or the other could continue, but not both at the same time, um, <laughs> right? So Yeah, and he might not even be on the team anymore. Yeah. Um, and then the other factor, though, that you do worry about with the Clippers is that Paul George was also bad. And he's That's at an age. That's your biggest and, concern. Yeah. That's your biggest concern. You know, is it was it the shoulder? Was it a short-term thing? I mean... Yeah, I mean, he hit the backboard on corner threes within a minute from either side, right? Like, how, how do you even do that? Um, and, and he's normally a really good shooter. So I, I think that's the one I worry about the most from the Clippers is what is Paul George going to be next year? And was that playoff performance just a blip or was that like a sign of, of that things are about to go like this with him? Yeah, that's I mean, if Paul George is going to be the 30th best player in the NBA, yeah, you're probably sunk. At yeah. that point, I would yeah. say. Um, so, yeah, that's your biggest concern. I mean, some of the other stuff, you know, Doc Rivers didn't play the right guys. Well, he's not there. Maybe Ty Lue will continue to not play the right guys. Who knows? Um, you know, lack of leadership. And, eh, you know, I think that you could say that that's something that might yeah. continue. But obviously, that's a convenient storyline when they lost it the way that they did. And it's something that people in the media probably overrate uh, overall. Uh, Lou Williams not being that good. Yeah, that might continue, but yeah. he, he probably won't play as much if, if he's not. Um, Patrick Beverly being injured, not being able to come back. Yeah, could continue, but might not uh, again. I mean, he yeah. was, he missed a bunch of time in the bubble and then he had the calf injury and, you know, he couldn't play as many minutes as they needed. He, I, he, he was, he was never good in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the, the other factor though, I think there was just a general lack of, conditioning that i thought really hurt them sure and 
And that that to me seems unlikely to repeat itself outside of the bubble environment. Um, another one, Landry Shamet got COVID-19 and he wasn't able to give them anything at all. And that's I don't, I don't think that's, I think he's going to be much better next year. Uh, and then another one is that Kawhi w- was not the player, you know, what, by the end of that Denver series, he really collapsed and wasn't yeah. able to dominate. I don't expect that to continue. I think he'll, he'll have a, uh, a much, much better playoffs because I mean, that's what he's done in his entire career up until those last three games against Denver. Yeah. Hey, somebody's asking in here, what is the chance for Luka to be the MVP next year? And it's a good segue because when we talk about these teams with title chances, we didn't talk about Dallas at all, um, who was kind of low-key hanging back there. I mean, they got two young all-stars. They got a lot of depth around them. Like, that's that's an interesting team if they can add one or two more players and, fingers crossed, keep Chris Stapp's Porzingis healthy for an entire season. Yeah, I just, I think because of their 2021 aspirations, there's a report that they're going to be at the head of the line for Giannis, or at least yeah. hoping to be. Yeah. Uh, so that limits their overall flexibility. I think the chance of him being MVP is pretty decent. Uh, you know, I don't think Harden is going to be a part of it anymore. Um, Giannis will pro- be suffering from voter fatigue. Voter fatigue with Giannis. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he might actually be the betting favorite for me. Uh, you know, some of the other guys, you know, Curry coming back, he's probably too old. He's Kawhi, gonna, uh, Kawhi won't play managed. enough games. Yeah, LeBron. The, the, guy, the guy who's going to be a popular pick is Anthony Davis if the Lakers have the best record. Yeah, or or I mean, it might you could get LeBron as like kind of the sympathy vote as well. Though I think most, uh, and I mean, not that he, I mean, he's still my pick for the best part in the NBA. I just don't think he's going to have the best regular season yeah. next year uh, as well. So sympathy vote might be the wrong way to put it, but <laughs> just the uh, kind of the writing old perceived wrongs but it's a regular season award that's the criteria and i don't expect him i think most voters vote in that manner these days which is why you see this disconnect between who's the mvp and who's the best player the way you didn't necessarily see that as much in previous years for sure uh all right you want to talk about the future here uh particularly which teams have the cleanest cap sheets and which are the most impacted going forward and not not only talking about this year but just generally the amount of flexibility that teams have or don't have over the next two three seasons sure i mean obviously you look at atlanta and it's just clean as a whistle i mean so you you start there um but they also i mean it's clean because they don't have players right like it's it's like dallas's cap sheet is more interesting because they have two all-star players and a clean sheet after this coming season right so so you, you get pretty excited about that situation i mean i guess hawks fans could be like oh we have john collins and trey young but uh I, I think their situation is really interesting. Uh, um, well, here, let, let me break in on them a little bit. I think uh, their flexibility might be overrated a little bit in this respect. Um, if they sign Collins to a $20 million a year extension, and then they also have Trey Young coming up at some future point, I mean, they're, and they still have a whole team that they need to build around these guys also. So yeah, they have $47 million, but they only have $47 million next year as well, and probably less than that with whatever Collins is going to make whereas i think toronto dallas 
uh, they kind of have stars already and they have a chance to, to add to it. So, I, I mean, the, you know, what's what's a flexible cap sheet and what isn't? That's a eye of the beholder there. But yeah. to me, I don't, I'm not like, oh man, they just have so many options here. I think it's kind of like, all right, we've got our team. We'll keep drafting and we'll try to sign the best player we can in free agency. And, and that's about it. But that doesn't necessarily, like, I guess, I guess what I'd say is just the, the realm of possibility to me is not there for the Hawks, right? Like, I'm kind of thinking of it as like, whoa, who's a team who has like such good flexibility that they could totally remake their team or be in a really different stratosphere that nobody expects a couple of years from now. Yeah. And I don't know that that's the Hawks. To well, me. it's tough too for any of those teams that aren't in glamour markets. I mean, Atlanta is at least like quasi glamour, I guess, because um, I live here. But uh, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> of course, but uh you know, this is one of the things we dealt with in, in Memphis, like, oh, we can get cap space. Great. So, you know, what can we do with that? Um, you know, the one time we really had meaningful cap space, what we did was horrible. Uh, and it's because you just you just don't have the same options as some of the other teams uh, when, when you get cap room in those in those markets. So you could argue like Miami's in a really interesting spot because they potentially have cap room and they have the allure of Miami so that if they have the room, somebody will actually probably come, uh, which is the same thing the Clippers and Brooklyn had going for them this past summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Toronto, they've got a lot. I mean, they're interesting because they're probably, I project them to have about 47 million in the summer of 2021, but they're presumably going to try and bring back Fred Van Vliet, uh, which could yeah. uh, bite into that. OG quite and a bit. An I mean, OB. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, that, that's including his cap hold. Mm-hmm. Um, but Toronto also has the capability to spend as well. I mean, part of this is, yeah, you might have the cap space, but that's because you have these young players that you have to extend. And so are you willing to spend that cap space if it then means you're going to be in the luxury tax the year after that? You know, yeah. that's a big part of it when you're talking about flexibility also. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it gets really tricky for for a lot of these teams, for a lot of these markets, I mean, and you look at like, I'll bring up Memphis again, because their cap sheet is really clean going forward. But, you know, you get out a couple years and you presume Jaron Jackson and John Morant will be on max or max-ish contracts. And then what is what does that do for your flexibility at that point? Here's another team that's very interesting. That's a lot of variability is the New Orleans Pelicans. As of now, though, this is clear, certainly going to change. They have $30 million committed. That's it in the summer of 2021. Now, Brendan Ingram surely will be on a max. So slice yep. $30 million off of that. And then Drew Holiday has a $27 million player option for that year if he is still here. Uh, you know, there's some possibility, I think, that he could pick that up uh, depending on how he plays if he is still on the team. So then, you know, you end up getting down to really about about 30 million uh with that but uh they could have like 50 million in space and you've got uh lonzo and although lonzo uh yeah i mean you're not just gonna let lonzo walk he'd be a restricted free agent then yeah or they could re-sign him for something a little bit lower and then Mm -hmm. you know that would wipe a lot of his capital books but they're I mean, it does. New Orleans has had good players for a long time and never really been a huge free agent destination. So I don't yeah. know if that would change necessarily, but they do have a lot of flexibility to uh, make some moves should they so desire. Absolutely. And one of the things I think they have to be talking about internally is cashing in their Drew Holiday stock now. If they know, I mean, I think what happened in the bubble really eliminated the last embers of the idea that this is like a contending caliber team right now. Like it's it's just not. They're too far away. They're too young. They're too small in some ways. Um, it's just not there yet. So 
Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick next year, like, are, are you really going all in around those guys and letting them leave as free agents for nothing? Or do you need to cash in on them now, build the team around Ingram, Zion Williamson, fingers crossed, Lonzo Ball, uh, you know, you had the two first round picks from last year, you got four picks this year. Is that is that the direction you need to go? Yeah, I certainly would be going for the slow build there. You have guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I think really needs to play. Mm -hmm. Josh Hart, who really needs to play. And they have a lot of young prospects. They have all these draft picks still in the future. The West is going to be so brutal. There's no way that they're... And yeah, okay, maybe they could make the playoffs, but that's probably a 50-50 proposition with this group. And obviously you're foregoing the other path, which is building more slowly and moving guys like Reddit and Hall holiday and getting some assets for them rather than them potentially either walking for nothing or in the case of holiday re-signing at age 31 and what will end up being a bad contract and just to continue to build for you know when zion williamson maybe not when zion williamson's 27 given his health concerns but for when he's 23 or 24 yeah build for that yeah that would be my approach and ingram's on the same age trajectory too uh and lonzo you know if they were in the east I might say, yeah, hey, you know what? Go, go for it. Maybe you, if you could break into the top four, potentially. Yeah, uh, but get, getting into the top eight in the West next year is going to be too hard. Yeah, uh, and, and particularly when Zion Williamson, I think, only has a limited number of miles that he can put on his odometer. And so, you know, play him 30 minutes a game while he's improving and teach him good defensive habits uh, as well. I think the who they end up hiring as a coach there. I think will be an interesting window into what their thinking is of where they are as a team right now. Although I, yeah, it will be interesting because it seems like they're angling more toward the veteran sort of win now type of coaches. But we'll we'll see what the decision ends up being there. Um. All right. What about worst cap sheets? Ah, who do we got here? Uh, you know, Boston's not in great shape. Well, I mean, it's gotta got to be Philly is the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Philly is in some serious trouble. Just, I mean, with being so far into the tax, have two contracts they're going to have a really hard time getting rid of. They extend out multiple years. Um, they're in a really tough situation that A, prevents them from adding players, and B, may force them to actually subtract players and and or give up assets to, in order to move off of players at a time when they should be going in the opposite direction and looking to add and build and and cement a you know a, a championship contender or an annual championship contender which is the, I think the thing they thought they had and you really question that after what happened last season yeah absolutely and I mean the the problem where we talk about lack of flexibility I mean they they have two young stars who are supposed to be really good and they're they're trying to build and they just don't have much in the way of assets. They do at least have their own first-round picks going forward, uh, which helps. They actually have the yeah. two draft picks this year uh, as well. Uh, I'm sorry, just the one draft pick this year, actually, because they owe the, their, uh, yeah. their other one to Brooklyn. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- I mean, that's one. Boston is one, too, although they at least have flexibility with Hayward coming off the books next year. It, they have guys who are good and tradable. Um, I think another one, I mean, Golden State, Yeah, they are locked, locked in. If this, if it turns out that this team is the six seed next year and they lose in the first 
first round or the second round and they're not close. And they write like a $100 million check for the luxury tax after it. Yeah, that's that's not going to sit real well. Yeah. Now, the good news for them is at least they have this draft pick capital. But uh, like the question that just needs to be answered is whether Steph, Clay, and Draymond are still the same guys that they've been or not. Which, yeah. Uh, the, and if they aren't, then, that's, that's not great. If they are, then they actually do have a little bit of flexibility. Um I'd well, say uh, Washington, uh, you know, John Wall's contract is still probably about the worst one in the league. Uh, we'll see what he comes back as, but he makes 41, then 44, and then 47. Uh, really takes away any cap room opportunities and uh, gives them a little bit of a tax situation. Like even just re-signing Bertans uh, is going to put them right up against the tax line uh, because of all that money they're paying John Wall. So I'd say I'd say they definitely have one of the worst situations. How about the team whose general manager just left because they have no flexibility? <laughs> We should probably mention them at some point, huh? Yeah. I mean, the Westbrook and Gordon contracts are both stinkers. Um, they, you know, they're, James Harden is awesome, but they're paying him 41, 44, 47 over the next three years. Uh, yeah, that's, that one's, that one's really tough. And it's tough because like they're so hard up against the tax and they're, they're not willing to pay into the tax. Like at least Golden State's willing to spend, right? Like, so they, they have a bunch of money on their books, but if they go 20 million over the tax, they might not mind. Whereas Houston, you know, that they aren't paying one cent of luxury tax. So that's going to make it really hard for them in these coming seasons just to maintain what they have, let alone add people. And then the one guy they have on a value contract is probably the least popular guy in the team right now, Daniel House. So there's going to be another uh, interesting offseason uh, in in Houston for sure. I, they, they're, in a, they're in a real jam. Like as we started the show with, I mean, the – they might have as bad a cap situation, and they have no assets either. It's not just the cap; they have, they have the draft capital to trade with. There, they don't have that either. So it just makes it so hard for them to dig out of this. Uh, JJXTX suggests Orlando. That's a really good one. Yeah, uh, not great there. Not I wouldn't quite call it awful either. I mean, they're what thirty million from the tax line right now. Uh, I guess um, they'll be thirteen million after they pay. I'm sorry, forty eight ops in their thirteen million from the tax line. Yeah, yeah. They'll be able to use their mid level. They're not going to be able to do anything splendiferous. They're not going to have cap room um, until at least twenty one. They can be a cap room team in twenty one, um, but probably not because they probably still want to extend Jonathan Isaac. Um, this is an interesting year for Orlando because with Isaac being out for the year, or most likely, uh, you wonder if they use that as an opportunity to take a step back and do they listen for trade offers on Vooch? You know, do they do they look at deals with Aaron Gordon or Fournier or um you know, we keep on waiting for them to do something uh, a little bit dramatic in one direction or the other because they've been kind of content post-White to like, okay, after what we've been through, like winning 40 games and being the seventh seed is totally awesome. Uh, but after a couple of years, that wears off. And I think we're still looking for them to kind of make that next move one way or the other and say, okay, we're either going to try to move up or move down. And we, we haven't seen that yet. They, they don't have a ton of flexibility. I don't think their situation is, is notably bad. I don't see any contracts that are really horrific, except, I mean, Al Farouk Aminu's obviously didn't look great this year, but uh, he was, you know, he's a pretty valuable player in Portland coming in. I don't think their situation's horrible or anything. It, it could be better. It's, it's more just ill-defined, actually. 
They're they're just like that, this quintess yeah. this quintessence of averageness right now, and and we're waiting for them to go one direction or the other. So a couple of ways that I have a thinking about them. Number one would be as I just think about it, like what would I do if I were their GM? They're one of the hardest teams to answer that question for. Sure. In the league, because you know I don't think Danny and I were going through this yesterday. I don't think that Vucevic has much trade value that like what team is really could use him and i don't know that there he makes so much 26 i don't think there's you could just like take back a bad contract for him and pick up an asset yeah i don't think that that's out there necessarily. the team the team he has the greatest value to is the orlando magic yeah no that that's absolutely right but that value obviously gets you to uh getting completely crushed in the first round every year which yeah you know is that really that amazing and they may not even make the the, the uh the playoffs next year with the, with no Isaac and some of the other limitations that they have sure. and um all right so we got about 10 minutes left here let's just do like a lightning round out of the chat to close it out Does, so somebody so, in here is asking if uh go cats and you is asking if Cleveland has a single positive contract <laughs> which is a little hard harsh I would certainly call uh K- uh, Porter uh, with the uh, 30th pick, Kevin Porter, you know, making 1-7 or whatever it is this coming year. I'd certainly call that a positive contract. Yeah, I, I would say so. And uh, Colin Sexton at $5 million, he did average 20 points a game last year and he was, he, he'd shown some growth, like at least just as, as sort of like a, a crappy Lou Williams at $5 mm-hmm. million a year, you'd be interested in him. Yeah. You know, or a Dennis Schroeder or something. I mean, he's, I don't know, he's not a starting caliber player on a good team, but, and, and they're not, I'm not that they're going to trade him, but yes, I would view him as a positive value contract. And, uh, and uh, Larry Nance, obviously. I mean, that's one of the best contracts in the league right now, I think. When you look at really? decl- declining he- money, he was their best player last year. I, I think he was really good. He played him at three, four, and five. He actually made some threes. Um, like, I... Like if I was a team like I wrote about this this past week, if I was a team like Boston and I had that 14th pick, like I'd be looking to try to trade that for Larry Nance for sure. His his money goes down too. It gets 11 7, 10 6, 9 6 over the next over these 3 years. Yeah, maybe I just didn't watch enough Cleveland last year, which uh You're I one of the lucky that. ones. Yeah, I was going to say I'll defend that decision until my dying day. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I understand how he was better, and I did, I did see that. And those lineups with him at the three towards the end of the year were somewhat interesting to show that he can defend on the perimeter. But I still think he is anybody who's not. To me, he's not a starter on a good two. Agree with that? Ooh. I actually think he might be. What what position? Probably the four. Probably start still, start him at the start him at the four and finish at the five. Well, he doesn't really protect the rim, so I'm a little concerned about him at the five. And I don't buy the shooting enough to really believe in him as a four. And I also worry that his athleticism is declining pretty rapidly. I mean, he's going to be like 28 this year. Yeah, um, that would be so a concern may- because he depends. I mean, he's he's undersized, so he depends on that. That that would definitely be a concern. Uh, you know, you see that a lot with these sort of pogo athletic uh forwards hit their late 20s and they just hit a wall and they're out of the league by the time they're 30 31 i view him as actually a negative value contract i think he's not by a ton i mean i think he established himself as you know a six seven million dollar a year player but you know i would i see him as at best a backup four or five off the bench on a good team with some versatility i'm also uh, the, the idea of him playing on the perimeter at the three and like guarding guys like he did that for the cleveland cavaliers right like anybody well they, they, were, well, they weren't going to go after him right 
<laughs> like when you could write, when you could put Sexton and Love in a pick and roll, like don't waste your time going after Larry Nance, right? Exactly. And so, is Larry Nance really going to hold up in the playoff crucible for a good team, or was he just, hey, they have absolutely nobody who has any kind of size and athleticism, and so playing him at the three was a massive upgrade defensively. Mm-hmm. And th- and you can't play him at the three normally because he's not a good enough shooter there unless you have you know on a real team at least. So I, I still remain very skeptical of him. Okay. Um, and But I, I also agree with you that he's their third best contract. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, All right. Yeah. Seed Munch wants to know what team is the best fit for Christian Wood? Oh, the best fit. What does that even mean anyway? <laughs> All right. You're Christian, Woods, but, but, you're Christian Woods' agent, and every single team in the league gave you the exact same offer. Which one do you take? Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think actually Charlotte. That was the one I was thinking too. For him. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we shouldn't say every single team because some teams just don't have the yeah. just have space for him. But, I, I, you know, I think Detroit is, is one, obviously. Charlotte, I like because – and I think – Charlotte, he could help them. He's young. He's someone who could really help them weaponize Devontae Graham with his ability to either pop or roll and finish around the rim. I've long felt that for teams with terrible offenses, if you're just trying to get better and be more respectable, getting a good offensive center, that's center is probably actually the cheapest position to find offense. And Christian Wood absolutely gives you that, uh, at least based on what he did last year. So uh, that would be one that I'd look at. I mean, I don't think he's a great fit on a team that really has playoff aspirations because we just don't know what he is yet defensively um so yeah i think probably charlotte would be the first one that comes to mind for me what do you think of that 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 charlotte was the first name that i thought of uh that for the reasons you mentioned then i think he can you know he can kind of toggle between four and five sometimes too so that you know when during those brief windows when Cody Zeller is healthy you can play him at four with Zeller too um and yeah and like you said like I think he'd he'd give them a pretty good size lift at the offensive end so I do I do think they'd get a lot about that a, a lot from that let me let me throw uh, yeah, one at I mean, you is there, yeah sorry sorry uh, uh, yeah go ahead do you like him in Indiana well, if you're a Christian Woods agent, you want to go somewhere where you're going to start, right? Yeah, I've tried to think if Indiana did something with one of their other bigs. But if they if they moved Miles Turner, and yeah, got for example, someone yeah. who kind of has a similar skill set, yeah, um, although isn't isn't as good defensively, yeah, like Detroit and Charlotte definitely make the most sense to me. I'm for not sure. sure that there's another team out there that would offer him the full mid level and is also going to offer him a starting position. Yeah, the. The, the the other team that would make sense is the one that cut him, uh, New Orleans. Yeah, that's uh, but obviously they're not huge fans of him. Either, so <laughs> yeah, him, right. So, um, well, and the other reason I like Charlotte too is you know if they pay him twelve million dollars a year or so, they don't have they have seventy one million in yeah, it's it's not hurting them exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and same thing with Detroit. Like the opportunity cost thing is very low. So I think Charlotte maybe a little bit more than Detroit just because you have some pick roll guards there that could maximize him a little bit more and Detroit might be trying to stay within early bird which would only be about 10 million a year so Charlotte can offer him a little bit more than that potentially yep. Detroit could too but uh then they would uh, there'd be an opportunity cost to that maybe a little bit more in the saucy so yeah Charlotte is it to me 
All right. <laughs> All right. Here's a question from Young Octopus. How bad did Atlanta mess up 2019 draft? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, moving up, giving up all that treasure to move up for a guy who ain't it, in, at least in my opinion, yeah, the, DeAndre Hunter. To, to me, the Hunter pick was the real problem. The Reddish is like, whatever. Um, you know, he sh- he showed he definitely had some brutal moments, but he also showed some really positive signs. Like that, that one might work. Like I, you know, whatever. The the paying that cost to move up to four to take a guy who basically had even if you talk to anyone when he was coming out, like zero star ceiling. Um, felt like such a reach at the time, and certainly played out that way. And I think I pointed this out a couple times before. I mean, like I'm a Virginia Wahoo, right? So I watch a lot of their games, and I just, I just never got it with the with the Hunter hype being a top five pick. Um, you know, hopefully he can be like at least a solid three and D guy. Um, even that, he seems like a little ways away from. And I, I just don't see a situation where he's any kind of star. And is, you know, can he even be like a a rotation player, a regular starter for them is is almost more the question right now. If he made more plays defensively as a help defender, as a steals guy, yeah, then I could I could justify it. But he never profiled as that exactly his college experience. Yeah, I know they play the pack line there, but you know he just is not an incredibly intelligent defender. You know he's not really a sharp defensively. Like I think he's got the potential to just you know stay in front of his man and hold up physically. Yeah, but uh, you know th- th- as you mentioned. And the upside isn't there. And I think part of their thinking was, well, hey, this guy, what he's supposed to be fits in really well with what we need, like a real 3 and D guy. But I think it's a lesson particularly high in the draft that even when you go for the quote unquote sure thing, it's not necessarily that sure. And he was what? He was already 22 when he was drafted. Yeah, right? exactly. 21 yeah. or 22. So yeah, yeah. Dra- draft um, Drafting for fit usually doesn't end real well. I mean, we sort of saw the same thing with the Warriors tried it with uh, Jacob Evans, right? Like, okay, he fits, but he's not any good. So what does it matter? Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I mean, just the price that they gave up. I mean, to give up 35 and the two second rounders from Cleveland yeah. and eight yeah. and 17. I mean, that and was they took on a contract massive. too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah they, they took, took on a $12 on, million dollar contract, Solomon Hill. Yeah. 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 What could they have done with that? They could have signed two more Jabari Parkers with that. <laughs> Well, now you're you're making it seem like they won by getting Solomon Hill. All right, guys. uh, This was really fun. Thanks so much uh, for watching and uh, subscribing and the gift subs and all that. Uh, We'll be back uh, doing it uh, every week here uh, at this time, 1230 Eastern, 1130 Pacific on Thursdays. We'll talk to you all next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.